Now, I once had a discomfort in my, in my right eye for several days, right? And so I decided to go on the internet, as you tend to do, don't you? Uh, to see what the online experts thought may have been wrong with my right eye, right? Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake, right? Reading the articles, I, I couldn't really work out whether I had uh, caught the bubonic plague, uh, some, some deadly plague or something. The amount of information I found out about what goes wrong with the eyes was just too much for me to make sense of it. Now, perhaps that's how you're feeling uh, right now after 71 sermons in Colossians. Uh, well, despair not. Despair not. Uh, we have arrived at the final verse uh, in this letter. Uh, final verse. And the verse is Colossians chapter 4, verse 18, of course. Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul in this final verse is answering one key question and the question Paul is answering is this. How does suffering and serving Christ relate to one another? How does suffering and serving Christ relate to one another? And the answer Paul gives us as he comes to the end of this letter there in verse 18 is simply this. Suffering helps us to serve Christ by the grace of God. Suffering helps us to serve Christ by the grace of God. Why does God allow us to suffer? Well, it's to serve Christ by his grace. Now, we're going to learn this truth from this verse. And you're probably shaking your head. Mm, is this really here? You're going to see how this is here, right? Uh, we're going to learn this truth in, by learning three lessons uh, that Paul is teaching us uh, in this verse that kind of gives us, brought together, Uh, is summarizing that statement. Suffering helps us to serve Christ by the grace of God. Three lessons, and they're in the outline. The first lesson is this. Suffering, sorry, serving Christ leads to suffering. Serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. Think about these names. John, James, Stephen, Antipas, and you're already getting a sense of the pattern, aren't you? The pattern there is clear. These are the names of followers of Jesus who are recorded in the Bible as having been killed for their faith in Christ. But we know that their deaths was only the beginning, right? History tells us that when Jesus said, follow me, for many it meant literally following him in death. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in Greece. James was beheaded uh, in Jerusalem. John was exiled at the island of Patmos. And the list goes on. Is it just me? Or is it not the case that in the Bible, the closer people were to Christ the more literal the call to take up the cross became for them. And the course of following Jesus continued after the apostles. We think of Polycarp, Justin Martyr, and of course the 16-year-old girl, Blandina, whose martyrdom is very well known. And what of John Chrysostom, who died in exile on the Taurus Mountains, 
because he spoke so boldly against the sins of Constantinople. Serving Christ and suffering are married together. They are like the left and right shoe. You can't have one without the other. That's how God has designed it. Now, we know all of that. We know all of that. And yet the problem is that even though we know this, there's still a part of us that believes that we can serve Christ without suffering for him. You and I want God to make us the exception. We want to be great evangelists from our large sofas and large television sets. We, we want the world to hear the gospel without we ourselves suffering for it to make Christ known. We want to lead a ministry in the church without any opposition to us. We want to become teachers and preachers without suffering loss, pain, and disappointment. We want God to bring revival to this land without persecution. And this is all true in areas of service outside the church, right? You want to be a great parent, but without sacrificing any time or comfort on your part. You want to be a good employee without opposition and struggle at work. You want to be a good neighbor without having rude neighbors. That is normal. That's normal. We are not created to suffer. Suffering is alien to our nature. It is a product of the fall. So it is normal for us to think life in Christ is better without suffering. Because that's just how we think. God knows that. That's how we think. And that is why he has given us the Bible to remind us on every page of the Bible. With, e with every prominent character in the Bible. That God has married suffering and serving together. Like in the verse in front of us. He reminds us of the same thing. As Paul signs of the letter, this is the last thing he wants the Colossians to keep remembering about the Christian life. About his own Christian life. Paul's Christian life. Look at verse 18. I, Paul. This is what I want you to remember about me. I, Paul, write this letter with my own hand. This is my letter. Remember my chains. Grace be with you all. Notice that phrase, remember my chains. This is the third time in this, chap in this, in this letter that Paul reminds the Colossians. In fact, in this, letter, this chapter particularly, that Paul reminds the Colossians that he's in prison and that he's writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. Right? He has been imprisoned in Rome for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. We know that because just a few verses before that, early verses, chapter 3 there, for example. Uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Look at verse 3 there in chapter 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. You see it there. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul knows that the Colossians already know, right, that he is in prison, right? So when Paul says, remember my chains, he is not saying, remember I am in prison, necessarily, right? 
He knows they are not going to forget he's in prison. That's not what he's concerned about. This isn't about intellectual knowledge that, oh, please don't forget me. I'm here in prison. I'm suffering. Paul is in somehow feeling lonely or worried that, oh, they're not going to know that I'm here. Maybe they will just forget about me. No, no. That's not what Paul means when he says, remember my chains. What Paul is saying to the Colossians is this. Keep front and center why I am in this prison. Just as when he told Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. It didn't mean he thinks, he thinks Timothy was going to forget who Jesus is. No, no, he says, keep that front and center in your life. And here he's saying, remember my change, he's saying the same thing. Keep front and center why I am in this prison. It is because of serving Christ. It's because serving Christ leads to suffering like this. Keep this, let this be into you. If I am not a servant of Christ, I wouldn't be in chains. He said that in verse 3 to 4. I am in the Belmash of Rome because suffering is my garment as a servant of Christ. That's really what Paul is communicating when he says, remember my chains. And this is the first thing that Paul wants us to keep remembering as followers of Christ. Keep remembering that serving Christ leads to suffering. Living obediently for Christ will lead you to suffer. Paul does not want us to simply recall this truth intellectually. He wants us to take this truth to heart and allow it to shape our heart life with Christ. Serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. He wants us that truth to, to be in us. Taking this truth to heart that serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ forces us to examine our lives immediately, doesn't it? Is my service for Christ leading me to suffer for him? Some people claim to live for Christ. Right? Many people claim to live for Christ. But there is no evidence of them ever going through any suffering out of loving obedience for Christ. Out of loving obedience to advance the gospel. Now, I am not saying they have never suffered. I am not saying they are not suffering. I think it's a famous rapper, DMX, who says, to live is to suffer. It is just part of living in a fallen world. That's not what we are worried about here. We are talking about suffering because we are in Christ. Those who truly give themselves to serve Christ meet suffering as a result of serving Christ because God has married these things together. And the question you need to ask yourself is this, do you know something of this in your life? Do you know something of the sacrifice of living for Christ, fulfilling the pain for serving him? Have you ever known sacrifice in service for Christ? If the answer is no, or has it been a long time since you knew it? If the answer, if the answer is it's been a while, then the obvious question is this. Does it not worry you that your faith does not seem to resemble the faith of the people of God in the Bible? Does it not worry you that your faith doesn't seem to resemble the faith of those who followed the apostles? It should worry you. Now, none of us should seek suffering. None of us should. 
But the absence of any suffering, our obedience to Christ is a red flag that we are not really taking up the cross to follow him. And so as my friend Al McLaughlin likes to ask, how is it with you? How is it with you this evening? Is there a growing evidence in your life of suffering out of obedience to Christ? Or are you trying to avoid suffering at all costs? Can you say, you know, I've been trying to live for Jesus in this area. And because I'm living for Jesus in this area, I'm having to make real painful choices. I'm having to suffer in this way. Because I'm seeking to be faithful to him. You need to prayerfully reflect on this. And if there is evidence of suffering out of loving obedience for Christ, take heart. That is the Christian life. You are living the true Christian life. Because serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. Now this immediately raises the question, doesn't it? Why has God done it this way? Why aren't we just served and no suffering? Why is serving Christ married with suffering for Christ? What's going on there? Well, the Bible gives us actually many answers to these questions. I'll just give you some, some, some quick answers, for example which I'm sure you know already. The first answer why God has done it this way, why God allows us to suffer, uh, the first answer is that God allows us to suffer as a way of living out our union with Christ. The life of Jesus is our life. Okay? If you are in Christ, you are in union with Christ. You, have, you share kononia in the life of Christ. And because Christ suffered, the Apostle Peter tells us in chapter 2, we are to follow in his footsteps. Our external suffering is authenticating that we share the inner life of Christ. We have indeed taken on his death and resurrection. And we just haven't taken on that, we have also taken on his suffering. Because Christ suffered, we also suffer. This is taking on the life of Christ to the full. And there's good news in there. Just as Christ was glorified, we too will be glorified. But on this subject of suffering, is that suffering reveals that reveals the external reality of that reveals the inner reality externally. Right? The second answer is that suffering is an opportunity for us to live out our victory over the devil that the Lord Jesus has already won for us. We often suffer because the devil is opposing our service to Christ. Satan attacks us. But as we endure his attacks, we are living out victory over him. So God wants you to share in the victory of Christ, which Christ has already purchased. How does he do that? Well, he allows you to suffer so that as you suffer, you are conquering Satan in the name of Jesus. Okay, so that's the second answer. The third answer, biblically, is that suffering, is, which is very familiar to us, is that suffering is part of our sanctification. All true followers of Christ have a mixture of good and evil in them, we might say, as long as we are in this world. God is the one who has allowed this temporal mixture in us, and he uses suffering, if you like, as a means to remove the dross of sin by making us lie more on him. Nothing makes us grow to depend more on God than when we are going through suffering. This is true for individuals and it's true for a church. 
Give me a church that's not suffering and is going to die very soon. Give me a church that is suffering and you'll see Christ work in them mightily. And you know what? The more we suffer, and the, leads us to more to depend on him. And the more we depend on him, the more we have assurance that we are his children. For example, when the world is opposing us, God the Holy Spirit uses our suffering, doesn't he, to grow our patience, to grow our forgiveness, to grow our love for our enemies. And as he does those things, well, as we see those fruits happening in our lives, we are reassured, isn't it, that in the middle of opposition, we are standing as lights in this dark world. We are children of God. Suffering is what brings assurance. As we know the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But for the work of Christ in my life, I would afford it. Only in moments of suffering do we grow in assurance like that. So those are good biblical explanations of, uh, of why God allows suffering and we can add some more to them. But in this passage, actually, Paul doesn't give us any of those reasons. He gives us another answer, doesn't he? It is our second lesson. The answer is our second lesson. The, the reason God allows suffering, according to Paul in this passage, is that suffering for Christ actually helps us to serve Christ. Not, merely, not simply to make us holy, but to make us save Christ. In chapter 1, uh, verse 24 to 25, we've already seen how Paul has explained that his suffering is a privilege from Christ who has made him a co-sufferer. And a co-worker for the church of Christ. Now, when it comes to this last verse of Colossians, we see that one way in which Paul's suffering is supporting the growth of the church of God is that Paul is now in prison and is writing the Bible. Look at verse 18 again. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. You see, the situation here is that the authorities have bound up Paul in prison like a criminal. And those who oppose Paul think that will reduce the influence of Paul on the world for the gospel, right? But God is using this as a dark providence. God is providentially using the very imprisonment of Paul to support the growth of the church by enabling Paul now to write this letter to the Colossians. And Paul has not just written to the Colossians. There is a letter to the church of the Laodiceans. We've just read about it. It is indicated in verse 24. It is lost to history. And we know that as part of these prison letters, there is a letter to Philemon that is in the Bible, delivered by Tychicus and Bonasimus at the same time to Philemon. And we think it is during this time as well that Tychicus has carried the letter to the church at Ephesus. His name is mentioned there. You see the point? The point is that when Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, Remember my chains. What Paul is saying to them is this. Remember that God is using my imprisonment to save you through my letters. To disciple you. To encourage you through my letter writing. Beloved, we have the Bible in our hands because God locked up Paul through the hands of lawless men. So that Paul could write the scripture to us. Locked in that prison cell, Paul didn't despair in his suffering. He allowed God to use that suffering to save the church. It's amazing, the providences of God. And that's the truth, isn't it? This is the second truth here. Suffering for Christ helps us to save Christ. 
Many of us are prone to despair in the face of suffering. We see only the hand of the devil against us when we are suffering. Oh, this is happening. That is happening. Well, the devil is against me. I used to be like that when I was a very young Christian. I just thought, just the devil. But I forgot to see the overruling providence of God in suffering. I forgot that the hand behind the painful events of my life is the personal hand of God at work guiding and framing all the details of my life. Beloved, we forget that our never-failing friend Jesus is behind all things, not some things or a lot of things, but is behind all things for his glory and for our good. Isn't that Romans? He's working all things for his glory and our good. Christ is working out his purposes in our prosperity and adversity. He's working out his purposes in our sickness and in health, in our joys and our sorrows, in our blessings and our many trials. You believe in the sovereignty of God, don't you? You believe in the providence of God. Well, this truth that God allows suffering to help us grow in serving Christ, beloved, is an invitation to you this evening to look at any suffering in your life with a fresh perspective. If you are a follower of Christ, your present suffering, far from being some sort of obstacle, is in fact an investment from Christ to grow your service to Him. Oh, brothers and sisters, I would love to go through the scriptures and show how that truth works, but I just want to take you straight back to the end of the Bible. John, how does the Apostle John write Revelation? God has sent him as St. John on exile to the island of Patmos. And it is in the depth of that isolation, removed from all civilization, that he has shown this magnificent revelation of Jesus. All the time in history condensed to one single moment. He only gets that wonderful revelation of Jesus at the worst moment of his life and isolated from his main line of work. John should be preaching at Ephesus, but he's found himself far away in Patmos. That's the work of God. I wonder, could it be that the difficulty you're going through at the moment, that difficulty which has made it hard for you to be useful as you used to be in one area, is an opportunity from God for a new service for him. Have you considered that the challenges in your home or at your place of work may be opportunities for God to grow you in some new service, some new way of dealing with you in your life, some new doors he may be opening up? And maybe as you think about your ministry in the church here, I wonder... What ministry in this church is God calling you right now that you, you, you are so keen to abandon or you are lazy about because you don't want to suffer? And he's saying, no, that's the place I want you to grow. I want you to grow more. Think about your life outside the church. Where is God calling you to be his servant and you just don't want to do it because it is hard or costly? Is it in your family, place of work? Is it in your friendship? What situation is hard that God wants you to suffer in it 
but you don't want to. Suffering, we are learning here, is an investment from God in our life. Paul being locked up in that prison cell in Rome was an investment, not just for the benefit of Paul, but for the benefit of the church. We have the Bible, most of the New Testament because Paul was in prison in Rome. Will you allow your current obstacles to make you shrink back in making yourself available to God? Or will you give yourself even more to Christ? Oh, beloved, when are you going to repent of your excuses? You should never use any suffering as an excuse not to serve God. Because it is in your suffering that God wants to work. Will you allow your suffering to call you back into more service to Christ? Or will you say, things are difficult now. I must cut down on evangelism. Will you allow suffering to drive you to your knees to pray to to God? To to make you more available to others? Or will you retreat in self-pity? Today, answer the call, beloved. Answer the call to serve God through suffering. Accept that God has married suffering with our service to him. Serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. But much more because suffering for Christ helps us to serve Christ. Now, if that is where we end it, it will be depressing, wouldn't it? Especially for a hot Sunday evening. It would completely suck. You already sucked to strength. This would just, if we end here, it's just like, it's a terrible evening, isn't it? Suffering. Help service. It's hard though, isn't it? It will sap us of strength. And the reason for that is because the temptation for us, when we hear that, that God grows us to serve, to, 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 to serve Christ, there are two temptations. One temptation, nothing that I've said, there are some people here, everything that I've said has not registered with you. It just hasn't sunk in what I'm saying. I know it hasn't sunk in because tomorrow something will happen and you'll be like, ah, what is me, what is me? Isn't the world terrible? What's happening? Where is God in all of this? It hasn't sunk in. There are some people here, it hasn't sunk in. Now there are some people for whom it's sinking in. And they're thinking, whoa, come on. So this is hard. I know this is the word of God and so I've got to try harder now depending on my effort, and that's really difficult. So we become deflated when we hear this. We're thinking, how do I do this impossible thing of persevering in my suffering for Christ so that I can serve him more? I mean, this is hard. But beloved, there's no need for you to relax. We are finishing Colossians. You can relax about that. And you can also relax on this point. There's no need to despair. (laughs) Because serving Christ... Look, we are not Muslims, right? Serving Christ... It's not about trying harder to keep some rules. Trying to take control of your life. No, no. The true God isn't asking for that. The true God, everything is done by him. And so our response is about surrendering ourselves to Christ and leaning on his grace. We cannot serve God in our strength and God isn't asking for that. And we don't need to. It takes the grace of God to serve Christ. And this is the final truth we learn here in this verse. The first truth is serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. Why? Well, because suffering for Christ helps to serve Christ. Oh, so how do we do it? Well, it takes God's grace to serve and suffer 
for Christ. That's the third truth. The Apostle Paul ends this letter the same way he started. Isn't it? Amazing. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul prayed, didn't he? That we have that benediction. Paul prays for the Colossians to experience more grace and peace. And then he ends the letter in verse 18 of chapter 4 with a similar benediction. This is a letter bounded by benediction. And there are benedictions of grace. Look at verse 18. Just one final sentence at the end. Grace be with you. You know, Paul knows already that they have the grace of God. You can't be a Christian without experiencing the grace of God. So what Paul was praying for at the beginning and he's praying for now is the same thing. It's this. Paul is praying that God will enable them to depend more and more on this grace in practice. They have it. But they need to depend more and more on it. What is grace? Well, the original word is charis. We've discussed it many times. Charis is not simply God's unmerited favor. Although it is that. But it is much more. It is God's relentless pursuit to serve sinners without the law. And what Paul is praying is that these followers of Jesus would enjoy more of charis. They will enjoy more of what it means to live as people who have been pursued by God and have been welcomed by God in Christ. And here is a crucial point here, isn't it? Paul is praying to God to help them enjoy this grace of God. Why? Because the Christian life is not lived by our own effort. It is lived by divine help in Christ. We can serve Christ in our suffering, in our strength. It takes the grace of God to enable us to live and serve Christ. This message of relying on the grace of Christ is really the central truth of all that the Apostle Paul has been trying to teach us in Colossians. We live for Christ the same way we received it. Just as you received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, abounding with thanksgiving, Paul says. Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7. It is by grace. How did you receive Christ? You received Him by grace. And that is because the Christian life is not DIY. It's not trying harder. It is resting on Christ. And you know, you and I are prone to forget this truth. So this evening, let us resolve to keep preaching this truth ourselves. Let us keep reminding ourselves it takes grace to serve and suffer for Christ. In those moments when serving God makes us despair, when being a faithful man for Christ, being a faithful parent for Christ, being a a faithful husband for Christ, being a, a, a faithful employee at work for Christ, being a faithful servant in the church, being a faithful Sunday school teacher, in, in those moments when it's so hard, to be faithful. And life is not as we expect. We can think things are falling apart, isn't it? Well, in those moments, remind yourself, it takes grace to serve and suffer for Christ. So I must lean on his grace. It does not depend on me. It is on his love and grace. Yes, I don't know everything that God is up to in my life. I can't predict how he's working for his glory in this area or that area. But I do know this precious truth, say to yourself, I am saved by his grace. My life is is not about me, it's about Christ. I am in Christ, as we said this morning. I know that Christ is my God and my King. I know that Christ owes the whole world together. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. I know that Christ is moving all courses of history for his glory and for my good. 
And I know that I am united in him forever. I know the king loves me because he has redeemed me from sin by his death on the cross. And he has made me holy and faithful in him. Not based on what I do, but based on his righteousness credited to my account. I know, no matter that, I know that no matter how hard life gets, my goal is to serve the king. And I know that his grace will always abound for me because I am his and he is mine. I know God and he knows me. So I don't need to look to myself in any situation I'm in. I don't even need to look at the depth of my struggle. I just need to keep my eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the hymn writer says. And when we look at Jesus, all the challenges of this world just grow dim in the light of his glory and grace, the hymn writer says. I need to keep my focus on Christ. I need to keep my focus on reading his word. Because when I read his word, the Bible, it points me to Jesus. Paul wants us to remind ourselves of this. To remind us that Christ is the grace of God with us. It's all about Christ and his grace. And we should keep serving him with our suffering by his grace. So let us preach that to ourselves. But let us not just preach this truth. Let us pray this truth to God. We must do for ourselves what Paul is doing for the Colossians. Right? Paul is modeling prayer. He's saying, this is how you serve God in suffering. By praying to God. So let us learn from Paul, isn't it? Because it takes the grace of God to suffer through suffering, we need to pray to God to pour His grace on our lives so we can be more willing to serve Him. Are you struggling to serve God? Pray for grace. We cannot make our hearts embrace suffering for Christ. God must bend our will to His. So let us pray that God does that. Pray that God's grace takes radically hold of you. Pray specifically for two things. First, pray that God to give you a glorious vision of the grace of God to us in the life and person of Jesus. The key to serving God through suffering, or in any area of our lives, is to be clear who we are suffering for. Many of us gladly suffer for our children. We do. And our wives, I hope. Right? We do, right? Why do we do it? Because the children mean the world to us, don't they? We may mourn about them from time to time, but deep in our heart, we regard it as an honor to suffer for our children. Oh, that boy is making me suffer. That is you taking pride in suffering. You know it's an honor to suffer for the boy, don't you? You know that. It's a gift from the Lord. We are glad to bear the pain of raising them because we know the pain is worth it. Suffering for Christ and his church is beloved, is infinitely more valuable than that. The problem is that many of us have a small vision of the grace of God that has come to us in Christ. So in everything we do for him, we just want comfort. We want quick church, quick evangelism, quick shopping. Everything is insta. We want everything insta, right? Insta evident, right? You just want comfort. And the reason for that is that we don't trust Christ enough. We don't want to live with the tension of having to continually depend on Him. 
We hurt the uncertainty of suffering for him. But that is fleshly way of living. Paul is reminding us here that if we are going to be true servants of his church, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be willing to suffer. And to do that, we need to grow in seeing the grace of God in Christ. It is difficult to rejoice in suffering for Christ. If Christ is so small in our eyes. And when Paul makes this point, that's why you, you, you can't look at verse 18 of chapter 4 without remembering chapter 1. And the big Jesus of Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Because it's when Jesus is big, and that's why Paul starts with that, that we can then come to the end of the letter and say, yeah, Christ is worth it. So pray that God will grow you in having a greater vision of the grace of God in Christ. Secondly, and I'll end here, pray for grace to read his word and to sit under the preaching of his word every week and to grow in meditating on the grace of Christ. We need to pray to God to help us embrace suffering for him. We must pray for a bigger vision of Christ and his word and a bigger hunger to read his word and sit under the preaching of his word. So then, those are the three points. How does suffering and serving relate to one another? Well, we've seen. Serving Christ leads to suffering for Christ. Point one. Point two, suffering for Christ helps us to serve Christ. And finally, it's not in our strength, it takes grace to serve and suffer for Christ. Amen.